Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. And I want us to pray a prayer before we get into the word today. Amen. There was a portion of scripture in the gospels where Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them, who do you think, who do you say I am? First, he said, who do men say that I am? And the disciples began to reply by the prevalent theories of their day, what people were saying, right? They were saying, well, the Pharisees say that you're this and theologians say that you're that and some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're a good man. And just the theories kept going on. But Simon Peters spoke up. Simon was always that one. Amen. He was the first one out of the boat. Right? He was the first one to speak when nobody else would. But Simon spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turned to Simon and said, This is what he said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee. Amen. The revelation, Simon, that you got didn't come from a textbook. It didn't come from popular theory. It came through the Spirit of God. There is a spirit of revelation. The Bible says, and Brother Huckabee uh, talked about this, he said that the carnal mind is enmity against God. In other words, you can't understand the Word of God through your carnal mind. Now, oftentimes when we're preaching, we try to use metaphors and stories that will bridge the gap between our everyday living and the Scripture. But the fact is you have to come over from carnality to spiritual in order to receive the things of the Spirit. Everybody say amen. Have you know you can't repent in your carnal mind? Repentance, true repentance doesn't happen in our, because our carnal man justifies our sin. Our carnal man will play the blame game all day long. Well, it was their fault and I deserve it and so forth. But when we enter into the spiritual mind, that's when repentance takes place. So I want us to join together. I want us to pray today that God would let a spirit of revelation come into this room. That God, when the word of God goes forth today, I pray that it would not have to battle with carnality. It would not have to battle against the trends of what humanity says about you. But I pray, God, that there would be a spirit of revelation that would enter into this room, that, Lord, our minds and our hearts and our spirits would be open to receive through a spirit of revelation. Let that spirit of God settle into this room right now. And, Lord, let everything else be secondary and let our receiving the, the good word of God, that good seed of the word of God, let that be the primary thing in this room for the next 45 minutes, everybody said, in Jesus' name. Tell your neighbor, for the next 45 minutes, nothing else matters. Amen. I've got Mother's Day plans. we got some ribeyes marinating right now. I know some of you just took that as an invitation. I'm not sure that we have enough. But I have plans as well, but that doesn't matter for the next 45 minutes. For the next 45 minutes, I've got, my heart has got to be cultivated to receive the word of God so that I can be fruitful in my walk with God. Amen. I do want to pause one last time and say, Sister Sylvia, we honored you in your absence, but thank you. Brother and Sister Sylvia took the lead on the anniversary services, even though they weren't able to be here, and we honor them. Thank you for all of your efforts. Amen. And as the mother of this church and the, the most important mother in my life in this season of my life, 
I, I do want to honor my mother-in-law and say it's so good to have her here with us today. We honor her, amen, as amen, a great lady, amen. But my wife is going to come today and she is going to speak. But before she does, we just have a short video to welcome all of our mothers today. Just a little way to give honor and tribute to our mothers today. Hey, moms, we're so glad you're here. Today is your day. And we wanted you to know that we love you. You could have decided to stay home and relax, but you're here with us, and it means so much. Being a mom isn't easy. It can be fun and rewarding, but it can also be very challenging and stressful. And sometimes it's hard to know if you're getting it right. But you should know that being here today, it's an important part. In Proverbs, the Bible says, train up children in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. So you being here today, in the house of God, surrounded by friends, family, and even those visiting, is such an amazing example. You are seeking more of Jesus and worshiping unashamed. The young men and women here are watching, and as they grow, they'll remember and do the same. So thank you, moms. Thank you so much for being here. We pray that God will bless you by renewing your spirit and drawing you closer to Him so you can continue to be a godly example to all those around you. Happy Mother's Day. Amen. Happy Mother's Day to all you wonderful mothers out there. I've asked a few of you if you got breakfast in bed so far where you've struck out. So <laughs> but I've got ribeyes marinating at home, so... I'm, I'm excited about that. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to read scripture this morning. I want to give honor to my mother. We have, uh, it's been many years since we've been together on Mother's Day. I, it may, I don't know that we've been together on Mother's Day since I've been married. I don't know. Maybe once. I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, but I want to give honor to her. She's an amazing lady. I've seen strength come from her that she didn't know was there over the last couple years, and I just want to honor her for that. She's a beautiful example to me, to my daughters, to anybody around her, and uh, I just want to give honor to my mother today. I love you. Amen. And Living Hope, we love you. We, all you moms out there, we have some a little gift for you when you leave today, so please don't leave without getting your gift. Um, it is a really delicious, yummy gift this time. You're going to get a cupcake that was made by Cameron, who's probably my favorite baker. Um, I think there's not a favorite child. Come on, favorite baker. We talked about the whole favorite thing on a Wednesday night one time. We've got that covered. Um, but I think she made some banana. What was the one? What's it called? Salted caramel banana. And then a peach pie cupcake. And then there's a vanilla one for those of you that, you know, don't like the fancy stuff. And again, these are for mothers, fathers, <laughs> children. These are for your mom. All right. And also there's a little photo wall out there if you want to get a cute little Mother's Day picture with your mom today. Don't leave without doing that. Amen. Let's go to the book of Habakkuk. No, that's a, that's a different one. Habakkuk chapter 2. 
It's up on the screen. If you have a little bit of trouble finding it, many of you will need to go to the front of your Bible <laughs> where it tells you what page it's on. It's kind of tucked in there in the Old Testament. All right, Habakkuk chapter 2. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he, what the Lord, will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. That last verse there, I want you to read it with me, all right? And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Amen. You may be seated. At 17 years old, Mackenzie Morgan was described as driven, exceptional, and passionate about life, endeavoring to master every sport or activity that she took on or that she was involved in. Mackenzie came from a family of pilots. And so at 17, she set out at a very young age to get her pilot's license. August 20th, 2013, no doubt a very exciting day, Mackenzie set out on her final test flight, a solo multi-city flight starting in Laurel, Montana with stops in Powell, Cody, and Grable, Mon or Wyoming, then on to Billings, Montana, and finally a return to Laurel. The final test, one that everyone in her life was confident she would pass with no problem and go on to secure her pilot's license at age 17. That afternoon, as she is preparing to take off from the small Laurel Airport, Bobby Powers, Mackenzie's flight instructor, gives her the coordinates for her GPS and confidently sends her on her way, feeling a very great sense of pride in her young student. 30 minutes into the flight, Mackenzie sends a text message that all is well and she's made her first stop. Her next stop is Cody, Wyoming, then on to Grable. Mackenzie checks in with Bobby and lets her know that in spite of the difficulties with visibility due to some nearby wildfires, she has successfully landed in Grable. As Mackenzie departs Grable for the final half of her solo test flight, she once again reads the coordinates that she has written down, given to her by Bobby, her flight instructor. Still navigating through the smoke of the wildfire, however, she is confident in the direction that she's going. Mackenzie was due to arrive in Billings around 3 p.m., but after not hearing from her by 3.15, Bobby begins to worry and makes a phone call to find out if anyone has heard from her. At 3.50 p.m., they declare Mackenzie missing, and the search begins. It begins as they enlist the help of friends and family. They send up nine different planes to scour the areas between Cody, Wyoming and Billings, Montana, which would be the flight path that Mackenzie should have taken. But they find no sign of Mackenzie or her plane. Fearing the worst, her parents cry and call and ask people to help pray to find Mackenzie. After much worry and fear, several hours later, they receive a phone call that Mackenzie's plane has crashed in an extremely remote area of Wyoming, in an area that no one was looking for her in because it was in the opposite direction of where she should have been flying. Mackenzie had been found by two deer hunters who had been scouting for elk in the area on horseback. 
Miraculously, Mackenzie is alive, and the hunters are able to safely get her out of the area and get her to a hospital. Upon interviewing Mackenzie to find out what went wrong, how she ended up flying in the complete opposite direction from where she should have been, she describes what took place. She tells how she plugged in the GPS coordinates that were written down for her, but she found herself flying into an unfamiliar mountainous area where she was surrounded by mountains and could not reach the necessary altitude to climb out. And she did not have room to turn the plane around, so she was stuck in a box. When the wheel of her plane grazed the rocks, the plane began to roll and she crash-landed upside down. According to the National Park Department, the area where she crashed is one of the most remote areas in the nation. They say there may be only two or three visitors to this area in a year. It is a rocky, rugged terrain with a very heavy grizzly bear population. Where she landed was extremely dangerous. And had it not been for the rare presence of two hunters, Mackenzie surely would have not survived one night in the mountains. When Bobby, Mackenzie's flight instructor, begins to investigate, to try and figure out what went wrong, why Mackenzie, who had always been great at navigating, ended up flying in the complete opposite direction than what she was supposed to be in, she soon realized that when the coordinates were written down, Bobby had accidentally transposed a number, resulting in Mackenzie flying in the wrong direction. In January of this year, we made a declaration that the mission of this church is to build strong families. We laid out a plan. We have prayed. We fasted. We've intentionally declared war on the enemy of the family. We have spent most of our Wednesday nights giving practical teaching and instruction on how to ensure your families are healthy and thriving. And I encourage you, if you're a Sunday-only churchgoer, you should be here on Wednesday nights. It's very good teaching for your families. We truly are a strong family of believers who exist to build strong families. But we are living in a time in America that the enemy has upped the ante on the family. The lines are blurred like never before. Man is doing what is right in their own eyes. Truth is whatever you want it to be. We have a government that is removing God from the equation. They are removing the authority and power of a creative God by telling children they get to choose what gender they want to be. And if you're tired of us hammering on that, you're just going to have to get over it because we are going to hammer on it because your kids are getting fed junk in the public school systems for eight hours a day, five days a week, and when they come here, they're going to hear the opposite. And I do not apologize for that. I never will. They are blatantly teaching perversion in our schools. They are bombarding the media and entertainment with demonic anti-God agendas. We live in a society where in Maryland you can get jail time or find $1,000 for killing a snake, but you can kill your baby and it's celebrated and encouraged. If you didn't know that you could be fined for killing snakes in Maryland, now you know, and I just found out that I owe them a lot of money. <laughs> and if I go to jail, that's probably why. And I will continue to do that just so anybody knows. <laughs> I've killed two this week, by the way. So anyway... 
and I'm not sorry. If they come in my garden again, I will do the same thing. <laughs> but we are in a generation where visibility is at an all-time low. The smoke and the haze from the wildfires of distractions and the iniquity bombarding our world is creating a church generation that is just not sure what they believe and why they believe it. We live in a church generation that's intimidated by the spirit of the Antichrist that's running rampant in the world today. There are churches across the nation who refre refuse to preach against sin. Churches that resemble a nightclub more than they do a place to worship a holy God. Churches that are using some of their building space to, to open up a brewery. True story, churches that refuse to address sin and the devastating effects of sin on the family. If we truly are a strong family of believers who exist to build strong families, I feel that today on this Mother's Day 2022, I have an obligation and a responsibility to ensure that everyone that's in this room hears and knows what the Word of God is saying. So today, I want to make a very, very clear sound. I want to remove the smoke. I want to remove the haze of the distractions around us. And I want to emphasize what the Bible says. I do not want there to be any room for error or transposing of Scripture. I don't want there to be any question in your mind. I don't want there to be any confusion. I want to make sure your path and the paths of your children are very, very clear. And I want to ensure that this generation, the ones before me, the ones after me, knows what the Bible says. So today, I'm going to make it plain. All throughout scripture, we are admonished and commanded to know what God is saying to his people. He repeatedly commanded Moses to write his commandments down, to ensure that his people knew exactly what it was that he was speaking. In Habakkuk chapter 2, when we read this a few minutes ago, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer. Habakkuk was looking and listening for the voice of God. And that's the first thing we got to do. We got to say, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to remove the distractions and the voices of this world that has watered down this truth and made grace really cheap. We're going to remove it, and we're going to say, God, you speak. God, you speak to the church. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain. In the context of this scripture, the Lord is revealing to Habakkuk what he will do about the righteous and the unrighteous in Israel. The judgment that's going to come to the unrighteous and the reward to those that are righteous. And he says, write it down. Make it plain. I need my people to know exactly what I am saying. Do not leave room for personal interpretations or personal opinions. And don't leave room for confusion, but make it plain. We sang the song this morning. If you're wondering where that came from, it wasn't just somebody who thought, let's just write some random words for this song, but it came from Proverbs chapter 3. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. There is benefit in knowing the word of God. 
There is great benefit to your life and to your family when you know what the Word of God says. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Let not mercy and truth, truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding. You will find good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding. A lot of times we think this scripture is about trust in the Lord to meet your financial need and trust in the Lord to heal your body. And yes, he can do all those things. But he's saying, don't try to understand things by yourself. You've got to have the spirit of God and trust in the Lord in order to understand what the word of God is speaking. Like the Israelites, we are also exhorted to remember his words by setting them on our hearts. The words of scripture are divinely inspired. If you don't believe that the word of God is divinely inspired by God and it was just written by a bunch of men, then you're wasting your time today. The word of God is divinely inspired. It's able to transform our hearts. It's able to transform our thoughts, our minds, our actions. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is alive. It is God's word to you and to me. It is a guidebook. It is truth. It is powerful. And it can withstand any opposition. I don't care what this world is saying. The word of God will stand true forever and ever and ever. Moses knew the value and strength of God's word. In Deuteronomy 6, 6, he said, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. In Moses' day, it was believed that the heart contained a person's intellect and insight. And to have God's word on their heart meant scripture was constantly pervading their conscious thoughts. Constantly, the children were hearing the word of God. Moses continued in verse 7 of that chapter of Deuteronomy. He said, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road and when you lay down and when you get up. Talk about the word of God. As parents, it is our obligation and our responsibility to emphasize the importance of scripture to our children. It is not our Sunday school teacher's job. They get 45 minutes to an hour, one day a week. It is your job, moms. It is your jobs, dads, to put the word of God in your children's hearts. Mothers, the very best thing that you can do for your children is to ensure that the word of God is written on their hearts. That word impress in Deuteronomy 6, 7 is the verse that it talks, that word impress, it means an act of painful and precise engraving. Painful and precise. That means sometimes your kids are going to be like, ugh, do I have to hear this again? Yes, you do, and you're going to like it. <laughs> Anyone ever had that conversation? But it is precise. It is Kids, this is what the word of God says. Don't let your friends at school and Uncle Jojo and whoever else down the road telling you all this other mess, you better make sure it lines up with what the word of God says. It is of the utmost importance. 
the Israelites were to recite scripture so often that the, their children would absorb it like a sponge. Your kids are sponges anyways. You don't believe me? Let's see what their first words are. It's going to be no, because that's what they hear most of the time at that age. No, don't, don't stick your finger in the drain like that. You know, don't, don't hit your brother. No, don't hit, don't kill the dog. Don't do those things. They're bad things. And so all they hear is no. So usually your kid's first word is no. They're sponges. They soak up the things that they're hearing. If they're going to hear something from us parents, it needs to be the word of God. Children, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. These need to be repetitive in our homes. And there are three truths this morning that I quickly want to address. Areas that we must ensure there is absolutely no confusion. Because I could just leave this message where it is right now, and it would be pretty vague still. But I want to address three truths, three GPS coordinates, if you will. Number one, who is Jesus? Jesus is not a demigod. He is not the second person in the Godhead or the Trinity. In fact, you will not find that word in the Bible anywhere or any mention of a triune God. What you will find is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Ephesians 4, 4 through 5, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word, capital W, was with God, and the Word was God. Skip down to verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. Who was that? That was Jesus. The Word, who is God, was made flesh. And it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest or robed in flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ, in Christ lives all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Isaiah 9.6, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Jesus is the Father. The Prince of Peace. Matthew 1, through 23. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh, I got you. Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus is God. Children, young people, hyphens, don't forget this.
is. Jesus is God. Make no mistake. Have no doubt about who he is. He is God. When we get to heaven, there will not be three thrones. There will be one throne, and there will be one God sitting on that throne. This revelation is of the utmost importance. Write it down. Make sure you know who Jesus is. The power to overcome sin only comes from understanding and revelation that Jesus is God, robed in flesh, who came down to become our sacrifice. If Jesus was not God, his blood is powerless. If Jesus was not God, his death was in vain. But I want to make it plain today, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus told Peter, when you've seen me, guess what? You've seen the Father. I and my Father, we are one. Amen. Secondly, the plan for salvation. Brother Eric Sanchez taught in Sunday school this morning and was all over this, which was confirmation, so I'm glad he did. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Peter told the church in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, any other. There's no other way for you to be saved except through Jesus Christ. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We must be saved. Christianity is not just another option on your list of religions. It's not just one of the ways to get to an eternal paradise. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the light. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 9, Paul tells the church, he's warning the church. He says, don't be carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established. You've got to have your heart established in the word of God. Otherwise, you will be taken away with strange doctrines. And let me tell you, there are some strange doctrines out there. And if you don't know the word of God, you're going to be swept away with it. He's warning the church, don't fall for every doctrine that's preached. I don't care who says it. I don't care who that person is. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it is a lie. So what does the Bible say about salvation? Let's go to Joel, Old Testament prophet, Joel chapter 2, verses 27 through 29. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. Let's fast forward a few hundred years. Jesus has come and died. He's been resurrected and he's ascended up into heaven. And he told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait. And I'm going to send the promise. What promise? The one that Joel was talking about when he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So in Acts chapter one, verse four, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Acts chapter one, verse eight, 
but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Ghost was the promise. The pouring out of the Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost is the promise that Joel was talking about. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're 50 days after Jesus has ascended up into heaven. And when the day of Pentecost, which that's what that means, was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were all doing what Jesus had said. He had said, go to Jerusalem away. So they're like, okay, here we are. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen, but Jesus said to do it, so let's do it. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were there dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews. There were some devout men of every nation under heaven. They were there and they heard what was going on. And verse 6 says, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. There were people there speaking in languages that they did not know. It confounded them. They're like, what is this? What is happening? Verse 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues, and they're saying what wonderful works God has done, but we know that they don't speak that language, so how is that possible? And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, one to another what does this mean? What is going on? Others, mocking, said, well, they're obviously drunk. Verse 13 says, these men are full of, the, of wine. They're, they're drunk as skunks. And verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, men of Judea and all thee that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. They ain't drunk, as you suppose, seeing that it's only the third hour of the day. It was morning. It's too early to be drunk, right? I mean, some people don't get that, but... But this is that. Peter says, this that you see, these men and women who are speaking in tongues and they have joy that's overflowing, this is that that Joel talked about. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, they're going to prophesy. And your young men, they're going to see visions. And old men are going to dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. Peter goes on to let them know. And they're like, wow, this is crazy. Wow, this is, this is interesting. And then Peter goes on and he kind of puts the hammer down on him. He says, by the way, this Jesus that you just crucified, he was the Messiah. The one that you guys, you know, were looking and waiting for and have been talking and you've lived your life for. Well, guess what? That was him and y'all just killed him. You crucified him. Peter didn't play. Peter would not be a popular pastor these days. <clears throat> I'm just telling you. Because he did not play games. And he told him, he said, you crucified him. And he was God. He was the Messiah. And verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. There was conviction there. They felt bad for what they'd done. Which that's what should happen. That's where repentance comes from. 
Whenever you are, are faced with the fact that you are a sinner and we all are sinners, when we're faced with that fact, it should cause there to be an action of repentance that says, God, I am sorry. Not sorry I got caught. Sometimes that's why we repent. We're like, oh, man, I got caught. Oh, I'm so sorry. But repentance is when you feel that conviction. Conviction is not a bad thing. A lot of people leave churches because they feel bad in church. Well, if that church is preaching against your pet sin, it's okay to feel that conviction. Conviction is the ultimate mercy of God. That is God saying, I want you to come out of this sin that's going to destroy your life. And I want to change you. I want to put you on a new path. I want to give you joy and peace everlasting. Conviction is the mercy of God. Don't run from conviction. It's how we come to know that he is a merciful God. And so they felt this conviction. They were like, well, what do we do about this? And they said to Peter and the rest of them, he said, men and brethren, then what shall we do? In verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent. This is what you have to do to be saved right here. Repent. You got to turn away from your sin. And you have to be confident to know that when you truly repent, you sincerely come before God and say, God, I want to change. I don't want to live this life anymore. That he is going to forgive you. That is the reason he came. That is the reason he shed blood is so that we could come before him and repent. And you know what he does? He does what every good father would do. And he say, I love you and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to cover you with my blood and let's get up and walk a new way. So you've got to repent. You, there's, there, would, there will be no salvation. You cannot make it to heaven without repenting of your sins. And then he said, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You have to be baptized. It is not an option. It is not just a good thing to do to join a church. A lot of people, that is, they truly believe it's just to join a church. And that's good because it is a sign of, you know, commitment to Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what baptism does. It takes away a lifetime of sin and shame. It takes a whole lifetime of doing things that are destroying you. And it washes away your sins. When you go down in this tank in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus called over you is what washes your sins away. It's what creates a new creature. If you're dealing with shame, if you're dealing with the shame of your past and you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, I would not leave here today without doing it. Because when you come out of this water and you know what the word of God says, that when we come up out of that water, we are a new creature. We are washed by the blood of Jesus. There is no feeling like it. There is peace that comes over your life. And then he said, when you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, that's important because the power to wash away sins only comes from Jesus. Okay, so you need to make sure if you've been baptized and you're thinking right now, well, I don't know how I was baptized. You need to make sure. It's kind of like if I wrote you a check for a million dollars today and I signed um, Jason's wife on there. Guess what? There is no power in that check. You're going to take it to the bank, and they're going to be like, you're crazy. 
go get her signature. You need her name written on it. And you've got to have the name of Jesus called over you when you go down in this water of baptism. And then he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all who are afar off. The Holy Ghost is for everybody. It's not just an extra gift that's good to have. The Holy Ghost is for everyone. And he said, with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Salvation comes through the name of Jesus, and it comes through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. This whole scripture, this whole, the book of Acts is talking about salvation. He's not just talking about something that is only for certain people in the church. And that is a doctrine. I'm just going to tell you, there is a doctrine out there that says it's only for certain people. And it's only for the pastor and deacons or it's only for certain people who get the, the gift, you know. No, the Holy Ghost is the spirit of God and he said it is for you, for your children, and to all who are called everywhere, all over the world. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, Jesus is having a conversation with a really good guy, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, said, verily, verily, or listen, listen. Okay. You can start using that when you give your children instructions. Verily, verily, I say unto you, go clean your room. See if it helps. It might, I mean, if you use the Bible, sometimes maybe they're like, oh, wow, she means it this time. But he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus, and I think Nicodemus was probably being sincere in this question. He said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Dear God, no. Jesus answered, (laughs) all you mothers, no, that is not what that means. (laughs) But Jesus answered him and said, listen, listen, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water, baptism in Jesus' name, and the spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' words. This isn't Living Hope Pentecostal Church. This isn't just the apostolic Pentecostal, you know, we thought up a cool thing that we wanted to pick out of the scripture and make a doctrine out of it. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and he said, if you ain't born of the water, and if you're not born of the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God, because that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Jesus is making it very clear. He's making it very clear. This is how you get into the kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 8, Paul tells the church in Rome, but ye are not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. So be that the spirit of God dwell in you. These are people who have received the spirit. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is a necessity. 
It is a necessity. Paul goes on to say, and if Christ be in you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. The Holy Ghost is what makes you righteous. Your righteousness, your attempts to be good and right, the Bible says are like filthy rags. It's nasty. But the Holy Ghost is what makes you righteous. Verse 11 of Romans says, But if the spirit of him that raised, you, raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So the same spirit, what this means is the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead is going to be what quickens or enables your body to be raised up when Jesus comes back for his church. So to me, it's pretty important. If that spirit is not dwelling in you, you are none of his and you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So this doesn't sound like it's just an extra gift. It doesn't, you know, reading Paul's teachings and even what Jesus said, it doesn't sound like it's just for some folks in the church that want to have a special gift. It sounds like if you want to be saved, you must be filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues everywhere throughout the book of Acts. Anywhere someone was filled with the Holy Ghost, there was evidence. No one had to guess. But every one of them began to speak with other tongues. Why is that? Because it's a sign to everyone around you that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And it's a sign that you've completely surrendered. Because if you're still holding on to those sins and those things, and you're like, well, I kind of want to surrender to God, but I really like fornicating. Or I really do want to surrender to God, but I really enjoy, you know, just all these sinful things. It's going to, you're not going to get the Holy Ghost that way. The Holy Ghost means there's complete surrender. And all throughout the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about your tongue. It's like the whole unruly member of your body. How many of you can testify that my tongue is, your tongue is the most unruly member of your body? We have a hard time getting this thing <laughs> to shut up. How many times have we bit our tongue? We're like, <sighs> you know, or you bite your fist or bite something so you don't say the things that you're wanting to say. The Bible, I, you could look through all of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I mean, there's so many scriptures that I could go through talking about how unruly your tongue is. It's hard to get it under control. So this is why God chooses speaking in tongues as the evidence, because when you repent and you've been baptized in the only saving name of Jesus, you are surrendering. You're surrendering your will, and that is what Jesus responds to. So if you're seeking the Holy Ghost, I know that there are people here today, you have not been filled with the Holy Ghost. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost today. But I want to help you out a little bit. When you are seeking the Holy Ghost and you're praying, God, whatever you have for me, I've surrendered, you've, been, you've repented, you've done all of it, and you're standing there and you're worshiping, open your mouth. No one has ever received the Holy Ghost with their mouth closed. 
And let me just tell you that it's nothing to be afraid of. I know that it's, it may be new. It may be a new experience. And it may be something that, you know, they make fun of out in the world out there now. But let me just tell you that when the Holy Ghost fills you full of his spirit, there is a joy that comes over you that you will never, ever, ever experience anywhere else. There is a peace that comes that no matter what's going on in your life, when the Holy Ghost comes into your life, there is peace, there is joy that you can't compare it with anything else. And you can trust the Lord. You can trust that the Lord wants what's best for you. So you can surrender to him because you trust him. And we've heard that all, all of the songs we sang today talked about trusting in the Lord. You can trust him. And when you place your life in his hands and you surrender completely to him, you can trust that you're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. He's going to help you live righteously. Amen. Peter said it's for you. It's for your children. It's for every human being. The Holy Ghost is what guides us. It what, it's what orders our lives. It's what brings understanding to his word. It's impossible for you to understand the spiritual things in the word of God if you're not filled with the spirit. There is just so many, there's just so many benefits to being filled with the spirit of God. You cannot overcome sin on your own. You cannot. You're not enough. We are just filthy dirt bags, basically. <laughs> That's what we are. But when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we are made new. We become children of God, and we're able to overcome sin. And we are commanded to live holy. But if you don't have a holy spirit living within you, it's impossible to live holy. There are numerous scriptures in the Bible where the Lord is commanding us to live holy because he is holy. And the Holy Ghost is what makes you holy. Real quick, I'm going to read Galatians 5, 16 through 25. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Be filled with the spirit and that's what's going to help you not walk a sinful life. For the flesh lusteth after or against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary. They fight. Your spirit or your flesh does not want to do what the Holy Ghost wants you to do. Your flesh, your human thinking and desires want to do what is pleasing to the flesh. If you see it, you want it, you get it. That's, that's, this, that's the mentality. If, if it makes you happy, just do it. Y'all know how I feel about that whole saying. I hate them. Every time I see them in Target, I want to turn them around. Do what makes your heart happy. No, your heart is wicked. The Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. But when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, it gives you a new heart. You have new desires. You cannot overcome your flesh without the Spirit. I'm going to hurry on through this. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Whenever you're filled with the Spirit, this is what you can experience. Love, joy, peace. People would pay millions of dollars if we could bottle up peace and give it to them. Long-suffering, you'll be more gentle. Some of y'all need to, no, don't look at your spouse and go, yeah, you need the Holy Ghost. No, don't say that. That's bad. Um, goodness, faith meekness, temperance, you're going to be able to have some self-control. These are fruits of the Spirit. 
And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Amen. The third thing, we will spend eternity somewhere. We're either going to spend it in heaven or we're going to spend it in the other place, right? And I know a lot of times we get our mind and our eyes off of heaven because we are so wrapped up in what's happening right here in front of us. In the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all the distractions, the wildfires, if you will, in the middle of all the evil, how do we find peace? How do we find the silver lining? How do we look at the bright side? How do we continue pressing forward and how do we find comfort? Knowing that the day is coming, and we've heard it a lot lately, that things are only going to get worse. And if you don't know what you believe, I'm glad you're here today because you better know what you're going to believe. Because having, like my husband said this morning, having a fish on your bumper ain't going to do it no more. Because they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. The Bible says they'll hate you for Jesus' name's sake. And you come into church today, there are people that hate you for that. So you better know and you better do more than wear a cross around your neck or put it on your bumper. You better know what you know and why you know it. But how do we have peace in the day that we're living in? If we were to read the 13th chapter of Hebrews, he goes through some of the really negative situations, some of the sins and the persecution and suffering that's happening in our world. And he's talking about being able or being willing to bear the same reproach or the same suffering that Jesus bore. But he speaks a word of comfort after he goes through all of this. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 13 in Hebrews, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. He's trying to shift the focus off of the suffering of this life to help them understand that we're not living for this life. We live for a city that is to come. Because he knows that if we will focus on why we do what we do, if we will turn our eyes towards heaven to our eternal hope, it will propel us to endure some of the suffering that w- of this life. I don't live the way that I do because it sounds like a good idea. I don't refrain from things that God says are sin because I have nothing better to do. I do it because I'm not living for this world. I am not living for anyone else in this world, but I am living for a city that he's prepared for me. That when the trumpet sounds, I want to make sure that I get up off this ground. That's why I do what I do. And if I forget that, I can sometimes start resenting the way that I live. If I forget that the reason I do what I do and the reason I don't do the things that I don't do is because I want to make it to heaven, I could start getting resentful and be like, well, you know, it's not, I really hate it that they expect me to do that. I hate it that that church expects me to live holy. Who are they to say, look, Turn your eyes to eternity. Eternity is forever. It never ends. And you've got to understand that when Jesus comes back, you've got to be ready. There's no second chances. You being here today is your second, third, fourth, fifth, however many times you've been here is your chances. Okay? 
living another day, waking up the next morning is the mercy of God. It gives you another opportunity. All right, God, today I'm living for you. Today I'm going to live righteous and holy because you're coming back really soon and I want to make it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 says, but I would not have you to be ignorant. He doesn't want you to be ignorant, (laughs) brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Don't be sorrowful for them, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ, they get to go first. They got a head start. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. He's coming back. He's coming back for his church. I know we've heard it a lot, but I promise you, Jesus is coming back. Don't leave here today without making sure you're ready. Verse 18 says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you some really hard things they're going through and you just don't even know what to say? You don't have the answers for them. We can comfort and say, you know what, I know you're going through it, but we're living for a day that we're going to walk on streets of gold and we're going to see Jesus face to face. There'll be no tears. There'll be no sickness. That's what he's saying. He said, church, comfort one another because it's going to get rough. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's going to get tough. But you can comfort each other by getting your eyes off of here and on heaven. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. John 14, 2 and 3, in my father's house are many mansions. Those of you that have wanted a mansion, make sure you go to heaven. You get one. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Hebrews eleven sixteen. but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. He is preparing for our arrival, just like a groom prepares a home for a bride. Jesus is preparing a place for us. In heaven, the light of that great city of Jerusalem will be like a glorious stone, the Bible says, shining pure like crystal. Its radiance will outshine any precious gem on earth, and its value will be immeasurable, covered in the glory of God. The holy Jerusalem will descend with brilliance. Psalms 50 and 2, out of Zion the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Every treasure man holds valuable will pale in comparison to that magnificent city of heaven. Precious stones will lavishly adorn the walls of Jerusalem. Revelations 21 gives a great description. If you like bling, heaven is your place. (laughs) 
The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh. I don't even know what these look like, but they sound really amazing and you probably could Google them. The seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. To visualize the pearly gates of heaven being formed out of one pearl is unfathomable. I mean, we get excited if we find one on the beach in a little oyster shell, but one pearl makes up one of the gates of heaven. Streets of gold so pure that they're transparent. They will extend from the 12 gates. What a beautiful description of what God is preparing for his children. Revelations 21 goes on to say that in heaven there will be no sun or no moon because the glory of God is the light. The Lamb of God is what will illuminate that city. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. It will be a place of perfect peace and joy. You can stand with me as I close. Therefore, in Revelation 7, 15 through 17, therefore... They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger no more and they shall neither thirst. The sun will not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb is, who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And I love this last part. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will wipe away every tear. The one that we know as the comforter will be with us face to face. There will be no more fear. There will be no more grief. There will be no more loss. There will be joy forevermore. And there will be perfect peace. The old song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. I imagine the saints will have just as much joy after 10,000 years of serving God that they had when they first got there. Heaven is real. Heaven is real. It's a real place, and we will either spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And I'm asking you on this Mother's Day, please make sure you're ready to go. Please make sure your children know what the Bible says. I'm, I'm glad that you have extracurricular activities for your kids and you're teaching them how to play soccer and baseball and football and you've got them in whatever, whatever things you've got them in. But if they know baseball stats better than they know what the Word of God says about getting to heaven, you're cheating your kids. You better be telling your kids how they need to make it to heaven. Because one day you're going to stand there and you're going to answer for what you've told your children. For the things that you've allowed to take up their time that keep them out of the house of God. The things that you've told them is a, more of a priority than being at church or on Sunday school or even sitting down and reading the Bible at home. 
you're going to stand there. And I'll tell you this, when I get to heaven, I want to look over. I don't want to see my girls standing right next to me. I want to be able to see them and take their hand as we walk into heaven's gates together. I don't know if that's how it works, but I tell you what, if I look over and my girls aren't there, what have I won? What good have I done them? If I encourage them to do all these things that, are, that we claim are so important and, we, well, we need to make sure our kids have, have this and that in their life and I want to make sure that, that they get good exercise, well, good, let them work out for an hour a day. They don't have to miss church for all that. You better make sure because there's going to come a day when you're going to look over and your kids will either be standing with you in heaven or they won't. And that's on you. That's on you. And I know that's heavy. That's heavy. And I, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be rude. But I want to see your children. I want to see God save your children. I want to see your families in heaven on that great day when Jesus returns. I want us all to go together. And I know this is not a typical Mother's Day message, and I'm supposed to get up here and make everybody feel really sad and googly and, you know, whatever, you know, like, oh, it's so sweet. We're going to use flowers and stuff. I know that's the way it's supposed to be on Mother's Day. But the greatest thing, the greatest gift that I could ever receive is to have my children go with me to heaven. And so if you're here today and your children are... Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait